For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and Trello, saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, cloud accounting world, I did say back up QuickBooks Online company data. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Rewind, later in the episode. Uh, 36% said Facebook, 32% said LinkedIn, 9.5% said Google+. <laughs> Google Plus was shut down. It doesn't even exist in 2018. Like, who's doing this survey? Like, who's I, answering these questions? Today is Monday, May 31st. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Big holiday weekend, Blake. Yeah. We're recording on a Monday. It is Memorial Day on uh, Monday. I just got back from San Diego area. It was a little cooler than Phoenix. Yeah, <laughs> a little Quite, bit. We were, by 30 degrees. Yeah, we were actually like chilly. Uh, I guess we've turned into Phoenicians or Arizonans after being here for over a year now. We were in the area uh, for my son's audiology appointment and... He did such a great job that we decided to take him to Legoland. We surprised him with Legoland. We stayed at one of those hotels that has a back entrance to Legoland. So you can get in and get up to all the rides in the back of the park before anyone else does. That was fun. But it was interesting being at a theme park in California because now being in Arizona, where the coronavirus controls are not as rigorous, uh, people are not perhaps as concerned with all of the... Uh, CDC guidelines and adhering to them exactly. Uh, it was it was kind of interesting being in a theme park where they're trying to do this, but also it's sort of pointless to try and do it. For instance, on the roller coasters, they were separating groups, family groups, with an empty row, but there was no social distancing in the lines. <laughs> oh, so so it's typical lines that you'd see at any old theme park where you're pretty much crammed in there like right. cattle, right? Yeah. And, and then you get on the ride, which which is moving 60 miles an hour, yeah. and it's plenty of air, and it's an open space. Yeah. And they're, 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 that's where they're pressing the distance. It's all posturing, I guess. It's a- I mean, it was pointless, right? And they had dots on the ground in the line, but there was no physical way they could actually space people out in a line like that. There's just not enough room in the line. So that was that was interesting. That was fun. So what about when you're waiting in line? I think they have buckets of Legos kids can play with while they're waiting in line. Is that still all available or did they get rid of all the touching stuff? No, they got rid of that. And a lot of the rides were closed. And I think it was the ones where they're worried that kids are going to touch it, you know, like the really touchy sensory stuff. Um, like there's a slide that was closed inexplicably. There was a play structure that was closed, but a different one was open. I, I think the weirdest thing that I saw the whole time I was there, the most meaningless theater type thing. Uh, it was that in the men's bathrooms, they had disabled every other hand dryer. <laughs> so there's like four hand dryers and two are disabled so that you can properly social distance. <laughs> but they hadn't done that with the urinals. So right, the same I w- <laughs> volume of people are using the just two. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> anyway, it actually was, it was good. It was fun. We had a good time. And, you know, I'm always impressed now with theme parks because they're a lot more sophisticated with their pricing than they were when I was a kid, probably when you were a kid too, David, uh, where now you can like pay 20% extra and then you can get these fast passes and you know you can sign, put your name down on like a wait list on the app and then you can go and cut the line on that ride. 
Well, they, 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 they really give you a lot of choice, but it's all premium services. Right. Right. They get you in the base and then here's all these other offerings. And that's, I mean, from a firm's perspective, you've, we've talked about this in the past, like, well, maybe if you want your reconciliation every single week, there's a premium for that. Yeah. So with like Legoland, it was called Reserve and Ride. And you basically ended up paying an extra 30% per ticket. So, and if you did that, then you could use the reserve and ride. And it would really, if you if you strategically planned it out, you could go on twice as many rides or at least 30% more, which kind of makes it worth it, right? If you're going to spend a day at Legoland versus two days, it ends up being cheaper in the end. So I've always been impressed by those kind of like pricing strategies. And yes, we should absolutely be doing that ourselves in firms is have the, have the add-on for the people who want to cut the line. So, so speaking of your security theater or COVID theater or whatever you want to call this, uh, there's an article this week about the PCOAB. <laughs> Wait, the PC public PCAOB. Sorry about PCAOB. that. PCAOB. Yes. PCAOB. So this is the uh, uh, entity inside the SEC that oversees the auditors, the 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 watcher of the watchmen. Yeah. So the Sarbanes Oxley Act. So after Enron. Yes. Right? They 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 established this organization, the PCAOB, right, to be somewhat independent body to oversee mm-hmm. all the audits of public companies, right? So basically, this is this is a group to audit the auditors, which tend to tend to be who are the auditors? It tends to be the big four, right? Yeah. So the reason they're in the news this week is uh, our favorites, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, sent a letter to the SEC re- requesting that they immediately. Um, remove people off the board of the PC AOB and replace them because they feel like these are people that were from the Trump administration and then they want to replace them with, you know, with their guys. But I think they missed the whole point of this because the same people, it, it's not Democrats, Republicans on there. The real problem with it, we've talked about in the before, it's just other people from the big four. Like you, you go work for the, you, you work for the auditing company, then you go work for the auditing governing board, then you go back to the auditing company. Yep, that's the real problem, and they're just completely missing that point. I think it's the uh, auditor regulator industrial complex, the revolving door. Like this happens, regulatory capture, right? Like this is a known thing that's been happening ever since regulations existed. So, yeah, you need people from outside accounting. But then the problem is they don't understand the audits. So how can they, how can you regulate something you don't understand? It's really a challenge. Well, they said that they have to have, you know, they have to have experience with audit. Right. Like all the requirements basically limits them to a very small list of people. Mm-hmm. And so it's not going to really matter who they put in. The same results are going to happen. What do I have? I have a story about KPMG and their relaxed remote work policies. I thought this was interesting. This was in accounting today. They listed out what they are doing at KPMG to help staff overcome remote work fatigue. And they, d- they developed this policy, set of policies by surveying their staff. Yes. Uh, this was Darren Burton, Vice Chair of Human Resources at KPMG, who, who was interviewed by Accounting Today. Yes, it was a survey. They have implemented some small but impactful changes, that's his words, in the hope that we can better support our people to disconnect, recharge, and manage stress. And then I keep reading and I... And I, I it says, while these policies are not formal, Burton said that people can make these changes, the rule versus the exception, but we recognize there are circumstances when that may not be possible, unquote. And I thought that was like the most big four thing to say, which is, 
you know, like, oh yeah, we encourage everyone to take off, uh, you know, in the afternoon on in the summer, unless your uh, client work prohibits you from doing that, right? And then of course nobody. Oh, so you're saying that these new policies are theater? That's what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, and and they're kind of funny because they are very like baby steps as well. So here's the here's the list of four things. So there is heads down time. The firm has blocked off every Wednesday from 2 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern to focus exclusively on work. Non-essential meetings are discouraged during this time. So, okay, that's nice. I get uh, three and a half hours a week to focus on doing my actual work as opposed to sitting in meetings. I like how they, though, uh, the, the way they've done that, instead of it being like 2 p.m. in my time zone, 2 p.m. in the Eastern time zone, like everybody's at the same three-hour chunk. Right. That's good. I, I kind of like the concept of that. And I like that idea of there's times during the day when you don't have meetings, but maybe make it more of the week so that people can actually get work done, like have a two-hour chunk every day, <laughs> at least. Um, Camera-free Fridays, voice-only meetings are encouraged every Friday with the aim of creating a more relaxed transition into the weekend by not requiring staff to appear on camera. Also known as you can take a Zoom call, you can take a call from the boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people will try to do, right? Go on vacation. Um, we, I, I, I have not. That seems like a rule just for partners. Yeah. <laughs> Shorter meetings. In an effort to curb back-to-back meetings and make more work time available throughout the day, KPMG changed the regular 30 and 60-minute blocks designed for meetings to 25 and 50 minutes, respectively. That's well, like the, the feature on Google Calendar, right? Where you can have every meeting default to slightly shorter. <laughs> But like that's going to add up to a lot of billable hours not being billed for at the end of the year. I just round up, always round up, David. Oh, okay. Morning prep time. The firm is discouraging early morning meetings to give staff more time to prepare for their work days. KPMG set the availability window on staff's calendars back one hour. So to me, that's like uh, now it's uh, instead of four a.m., it's five a.m. <laughs> I I think that's an important one. I think that's been the one of the biggest struggles of working at home during COVID is this. Early morning meetings. Or, yeah, you just jump in and I'm like, next thing you know, you're like, oh, it's 1 p.m. and I haven't had breakfast and I haven't taken a shower and I'm still in my gym clothes. And like, you don't know how it happens, but it happens because it's not blocked off. Right. But then this goes back to that. Like how, me blocking off my morning is really when people are in the prime of their day. Right. So it, it somebody has to bite the bullet and suffer here. Well, and especially if you're working with people in different time zones all over the world, like you do, David, like, I don't know how you control that. I mean, you just up early, up late, working all the time. Yeah, you just get up early. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Uncat. We talk a lot about AI, bots, and machine learning on this podcast, and how they just can't do everything. Uncategorized transactions is a perfect example of something that requires the good judgment of accountants and bookkeepers. But categorizing uncategorized transactions isn't just about applying judgment. It's also about having a great communication between you and your client. I'm guessing many of you already have an quote-unquote export a report from QuickBooks to a spreadsheet and email it to the client type system. But let's be honest, you don't like this and neither does your client. This is where Uncat can help you make classifying of expenses, income, and asset transactions faster and more enjoyable for both you and your clients. Uncat's automatic notifications, reminders, and password-less login make it easy for your clients to provide descriptions of transactions and upload receipts. 
and it makes it easy for you and your team to quickly categorize and automatically sync the corrected transactions with QuickBooks Online. If you're curious, like a cat, to learn more about Uncat, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Uncat. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash U-N-C-A-T. Close the books faster with Uncat. All right, what else we got? We could talk uh, quickly. We got a uh, little Congress stuff. So uh, just okay. a quick update from last week. So we talked last week. I th- it was last week or the week before you brought up the article about how Cabbage was being investigated for PPP fraud. Yes. Oh, they're, start- they're starting to open those doors and, and press on that. I think it well, was a couple weeks ago. Well, now it's it's on the floor in Congress. They're starting to bring it up. Like it's getting very, very public. So there was a, uh, a report. This is uh, from Bloomberg. 75% of PPP loans that are connected to fraud came through the fintech sector. Doesn't surprise me. This is a report from uh, ProPublica. Cabbage facilitated 378 loans totaling $7 million to businesses that likely don't even exist. Mo- a lot of them were tied to a farm. It'd be like Blake's Beet Farm, right? <laughs> but your address would be like Miami Beach. And I think some of the names were just ridiculous too. Like if anyone even looked at the name of the business... And, and where it was, they would realize this is not a real business. And the partner, the partner banks are just as, and the word guilty is not the right word, but this is not just on, you know, Blue Vine and Cabbage not doing due diligence, right? They all have partner banks they're working with. I remember right. we talked about Cross River Bank. They got all the kudos because they were so quick to work with all the fintechs, right? And, but yeah, they're going to yeah. be also part of this subcommittee's probe as well. Um, well, it's, it's interesting though. So, Part of the problem with PPP is that the traditional banks decided we're not going to lend to people we don't know. We're only going to lend to our existing customers to start because we don't want to be open to liability for making bad loans. They were looking out for themselves and their customers. And so they prioritized them. And then people who didn't have relationships with their bank, like personal relationships, got screwed because they were put in the back of the line. And this is why we saw like through the Midwest and all these places where, you know, you have a lot of people that have farms and they have relationships with their bank and they've had a 20 year relationship with their bank. They're able to go in and get, you know, a loan. But then you talk about, you know, these other big, huge cities on the coast where you don't have a relationship with somebody at Wells Fargo. Right. And you just get, you get thrown in the queue to get a loan. And so then the fintechs came along and said, we're going to fix this. We're going to unclog the bottleneck. And they put in automation where they were not knowing. They didn't know the people that they were helping out. And the question is, were they satisfying the intent and the letter of the law that was passed? Like, did they do enough due diligence or are they going to get blamed for all the fraud that occurred? And to your point, David, something you've been saying this whole time for the past year, if you want to get the money out fast, to paraphrase you, right? It seems like your argument has always been, if you want to get the money out fast, you're just going to have to live with it. There's going to be... And that was the learning from the 2008 stimulus. They just took too long to get out. And that's why we were, the economy was struggling for three and a half years. Versus this time, I mean, they got that money out fairly quickly this time. But then you're going to have fraud. So now the question is, I guess, is the is the tech world going to become the scapegoat for the fraud that did occur, right? Because Congress wrote a bad bill. They, they came up with a bad way of doing this that necessitated opening it up to fraud. There's no way else to get the money out without making it possible for people just to 
loans that for businesses that don't exist. I mean, the fintech stack is what made it so easy. You could open up a bank in two seconds with basically no idea of a fake business. Then you go apply for a loan, take that money, deposit into your fake bank account. And this is all automated. Uh, Cabbage said 75% of its loans were approved with zero human intervention. And 98% of those were brand new customers. Are they going to get hit for not doing enough due diligence? Or did they satisfy the rules? And if they did, then they'll be fine. They'll get through it, right? They're not going to... They're not going to get held to account for satisfying the rules of the program. But the whole argument, I mean, the whole the whole argument of somebody like Cabbage, here's our competitive advantage. We connect your QuickBooks data. We read all your data. We're big tech. We read all the data and it makes us smart and we're going to prove things. Do they just not, do all these companies not have the tech they say they do? It's just all bullshit. If the data in the QuickBooks file is bad, if it's not categorized properly, if it's not cleaned up, if it's not reconciled, then it's bad data. And there's only so much you can do with it, right? So it well, doesn't matter. If it hasn't been reconciled, do you approve somebody for a loan? Right. So they, yeah. I don't you, know. you can see that inf- information in the file. It, but it I, was all self-certification, right? So that's the big thing is that almost all of this was put on the borrower, not on the lender. What I find interesting about this, I always thought these companies, the Cabbages, the Blue Vines, the Ondex, all these companies would eventually be called the Congress. But I always thought it was going to be because they're giving small businesses 30% loans. I always thought it was going to be, you know, some congressman would- Oh, usury and stuff. Yeah. They, they, exactly. They'd be, they'd, they'd be at some, you know, town hall meeting with their client and they'd find out like 18 small businesses have 30% loans, right? And they're struggling to stay alive. I always thought that's what was going to get these, these, these fintech loan companies onto Congress's radar. But they really never happened. Now they got on for this other reason because of the PPP loan. The other uh, little small piece of thing that was interesting in this, do you remember when American Express bought Cabbage, acquired Cabbage in October? Yes. So they spun off all the PPP loans into its own new entity called K-Servicing. I wonder how much Amex knew about this, understood it, uh, maybe even saw that there was risk they didn't want to take on. And that's the reason all these all got spun off to their own entity, business entity. Makes sense. Well, you know who else is in Congress's eyesights or maybe for fraud is the IRS. Congress, <laughs> the Congress, IRS is in the eye. They, they're, they're in the eyes of Congress for a lot of things. But <laughs> now for fraud. Now for fraud as well. Yeah. Well, so all those stimulus payments. So we're not the PPP, but the direct payments to individuals that went out that the IRS you know, had to cut millions of checks for. There was, they had to get the money out so fast that they didn't do a very good job of checking the list. Just like Santa, you got to check the list twice. I don't think the IRS did that. And so 4.4 million economic impact payments last year, totaling more than 5.5 billion went out to potentially ineligible people. And the IRS- Like dead people, right? Dead people, people who are no longer- young enough to be dependents, all this stuff. And so the IRS said, well, you know, we, we can't really figure this out. So we're just going to send the payments and then people are going to be responsible for returning them if they get one they shouldn't have. And of course, the voluntary return payments are only 65000 totaling about $80 million. So $5.5 in ineligible payments, only $80 million returned. We could expect that, right? People are not going <laughs> to, they're going to deposit that check from the IRS. They are not going to return it, most likely. So there's really like no easy way to get this back. So that's another thing. Are we going to get bogged down? I, well, you could say you can make an argument that, you know, we need to look into this, this was wrong. But then at the same time, 
Like if you want to get out stimulus, you're going to have fraud. It's just a certain amount. The faster you go, the less due diligence you do, the more fraud you get. And 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 in those is, is I imagine a lot of those distributions were not fraud. It's just old, out of date records. And and yes, obviously, if somebody gets a check that they shouldn't have gotten and they don't mail it back, I get it. Technically, it is fraud, right? Yeah, yes. technically, but but it's not like they they set out to purposely deceive and get the credit. I'm sure some portions of some people did, but in general, that's just old bad data in, in the database, and they sent these out. And yeah, you're going to cash it those checks when they right? come to the door, right? Yeah. So I have an article. Uh, this is I've actually had it for about three weeks now. The Finance Digital Dollar Project is launching five U.S. central digital banking currency pilots. This is the Federal Reserve uh, cryptocurrency, right? Is That's that what we're correct. About? What's weird about this? So it's, it's CBD, you know, like CBD oil. Yeah, but, but add a C to that. So it's so we're gonna CBDC. It's it's not it's not a great acronym, right? It's the Central Bank Digital Currency. So US CBDC. Uh, I thought they were gonna call it something cool like Fedcoin. They need a they need a bigger uh, bigger branding here. Yeah. So they're partnering with Accenture and the Digital Dollar Foundation, and they're uh, running about five different pilots. Um, they're working with some financial firms, some retailers, some NGOs um, to help just generate data, so policymakers can really work for take those next steps to carry out the digital do- dollar. And this is really important because last year China launched its own cryptocurrency, so the Chinese are ahead of us when it comes to. They have a cryptocurrency that actually works that their central bank can control and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in China are already using it with an app on their phone and can pay with digital yuan anywhere in the world. It's kind of amazing. And yeah, so they're working with MIT, right, to to develop this hypothetical digital dollar. And what's interesting about this is going back, tying it back to the distribution of funds incorrectly, these checks. I guess they could stop payment on those checks, but with this, they could just take the money right back out. The way I describe it to people who don't know, aren't familiar with cryptocurrency is like, think about it that everybody had an account. Every citizen has an account at the Federal Reserve and it's on like an app on your phone, like a neobank. They could just put money in there, take it away. The next thing is all, at this, all the data in this study is going to be released publicly. So we'll be able to watch and learn how this all went down. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. Imagine if a meteorite wiped out into its server. It's extremely unlikely, but if it did happen, Intuit would be able to restore all your data and everyone else's that was lost. Rewind has built a backup solution for data loss situations that are way more likely to occur to your client's data. Malicious attacks, buggy apps, disgruntled clients, and of course, ourselves. Human error, the number one reason people lose data. Say goodbye to making manual copies of clients' files, CSV exports, or storing redundancies on hard drives. Rewind is introducing a new way of protecting your data through an automated daily backups and on-demand controlled data recovery. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. By using Rewind, you can take a proactive approach to your client's data and be the trusted advisor that differentiates you from your competitors by showing your client how Rewind safeguards one of your client's most important assets, their data. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. 
Rewind, protect your data, protect your business. Meanwhile, in China, the Chinese government, now that it has launched its own cryptocurrency, has banned financial payment institutions from cryptocurrency business. Under this ban, banks, online payments channels, they may not offer clients any service involving cryptocurrency, such as registration, trading, clearing, and settlement. Basically, this is what set off the giant drop in Bitcoin, Ethereum, all cryptocurrencies have been suffering uh, in so May. So basically, use ours or get out. I think that's where they're moving to. And it makes sense. They want to control this. And they want to be able to have visibility into what's going on, which is one of the huge benefits to China of controlling its own cryptocurrency, as they can see all the transactions. Because the whole argument to why you'd want your, to use alternative cryptocurrencies is because one of the arguments, maybe you want some privacy. They haven't yet barred individuals from holding cryptocurrencies, but could that be next? That's the question. And that could really hurt crypto. And this is this is my biggest concern with cryptocurrency, and it's it's why I don't personally invest in crypto. It's that the whole value of crypto, uh, or the 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 long term bet on crypto, is that you think that if you're investing in it, it will replace gold as a uh, store of value, as a global reserve currency, or replace U.S. dollar or something like that. But this is impossible if governments ban it then the only thing you can practically use it for is illegal activity, which is kind of all it's really used for now. It's used for speculation and illegal activity. No, Very few actual economic transactions are happening in crypto. And even Tesla said they backed away from saying they're going to accept it. So, Well, because I have, I think in the PayPal app and my Square Cash app, I have crypto in both of those, but I can't pay you in crypto. It's, it's, like, it's like I bought a mutual fund. <laughs> yeah, it, so it's it's all just it's all speculation, and so if China bans it, if they ban individuals from holding it, if the U.S. you know decides to ban it, then it's a real uh, I don't know existential threat to cryptocurrency, and I can't see why governments would tolerate it when it basically allows people to evade taxes really easily, uh, illegal activity. Uh, there was a s- opinion piece in uh, Wall Street Journal saying that. Uh, the U.S. government arguing that the U.S. government should ban cryptocurrency because it's what's powering all of the ransomware that's going on. That's how people pay the ransom is they have to send Bitcoin to a wallet and there's no way to trace it. Now, that pipeline that got hacked, they paid the ransom. They had no other choice. And most of these ransoms get paid because there's like a 90% chance that the hackers will actually unlock your computers and you'll be able to function again. So it's a even though it's bad for everyone that we're paying these ransoms because it encourages hackers to do more of it, it saves you a lot of time and money and it's worth it to you as an individual. So it's like this whole tragedy of the commons kind of situation where we've got all these ransomware companies or hacker groups hacking us and asking for a crypto and crypto is what enables them to do it. Before they used to have to set up shell companies and credit card processing and you could track that through the global financial system. So if but we now you can't eliminate ransomware. We could work on all these technological firewalls and all this stuff, or we could just completely devalue ban crypto. Yeah, devalue Bitcoin and crypto. Now, the, the cryptocurrency crowd, of course, hates this idea, but it would do it. It would work. This is an opinion piece by Lee Reiners in uh, Wall Street Journal back on May 25th. Ban cryptocurrency to fight ransomware. The subhead 
is the existence of Bitcoin and the rest benefits nobody except criminals and speculators. Well, it hasn't benefited me. My crypto and my uh, PayPal app is only worth $7.85 now. I've lost 30%. Well, when it goes to the moon, David, and it's worth a million dollars a coin, maybe you'll be changing your tune, I guess. I don't know. Um, there's also like the issue of uh, when we talk about like the future of Bitcoin or whatnot, like a lot of it hinges or a lot of the talk online hinges on or the value hinges on the idea that corporations will start holding Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as like a uh, treasury management thing. Like they'll hold at least part of their cash in crypto. And there was another article on CFO.com about this. The headline is, is Bitcoin a buy by Vincent Ryan? And he says basically like, you're insane if you're a CFO and you hold any percentage of your cash in crypto because it's so volatile. But maybe not. So I wouldn't say you should hold it for as a treasury management or having an asset on your books. I think you, it's almost like insurance, like buy it when you can cheap because you know one day you're going to get ransomware on a long enough timeline <laughs> and you, know, you won't have to scramble to buy market highs for your Bitcoin to pay off your ransomware. Like you probably should just have some set on your books ready to go to pay ransoms. I think that's a good argument why we should just ban it. <laughs> oh man. One more bit of crypto news. The treasury is calling for crypto transfers over $10,000 to be reported the same way that you currently have to report transfers of cash over $10,000. It's kind of surprising to me that this isn't already a, a rule, but it's another example of how crypto kind of bypasses all of our current rules and regulations. It feels like that's what the question should be on the t instead of just do you, have you ever bought and sold crypto? Like I should have a second question right next to it that says do you have any crypto transactions that are over 10,000? Yeah, then they'd actually be able to use the data for something, right? Cuz there's so many people that have crypto that that question becomes kind of meaningless. Yeah, me and my to the my, IRS anyway. My $10 of crypto buy and three different apps just to see what happens. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I get to report this, it's going to cost the government millions to track. So that's all my crypto news. What else should we talk about this week? Uh, we have app news, obviously. Um, and there was a survey, right, about the Reader's Choice Awards from CPA Practice Advisor. Oh, yeah. Uh, so CPA Practice Advisor came out with their 17th annual, let's see here, 17th annual Reader's Choice Awards 2021. I've been getting the magazine again. They found my correct address. And uh, so I was I was looking through this, and there's some interesting results. I don't know. It's, it's like a good... I think it's a good way to keep tabs on what's going on what's with the it? small- 4,700 tax and accounting professionals participated in this. So it's significant. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't use all of the software that a firm might use. So I, I didn't know what, for instance, the number one income tax prep software was for smaller firms. And I'm saying smaller firms because that tends to be the readership of CPA Practice Advisor, or like on the more on the small firm side. So I'm assuming that of the people that responded, it's kind of representative of that group. So- uh, Drake Tax Software dominates in federal state income tax preparation at 37%. Intuit's LACERT Pro Series or ProConnect Tax Online comes in second at 27%. And after that, everyone's lower than 10%. Tax planning systems, Drake Tax Planner wins with similar margins. Then accounting research. I thought this was interesting. Tax and accounting research systems. The tax book has 60% of the market. That's a lot. Specialty systems and tax prep tools. This was an interesting category. The winner is QuickBooks Self-Employed. 
So I'm wondering why that is considered a specialty system and tax prep tool. I have questions up and down the survey. And I don't know is like if, if the survey just has some problems or if our industry just doesn't understand the questions. They're, they're, a great example of this is there's a question way at the bottom about how social you, how social you are. What social media tools are you using? Right? So mm-hmm. 40% say we don't use any social media for our business. Uh, 36% said Facebook. 32% said LinkedIn. 9.5% said Google+. Plus. <laughs> Google+, Plus was shut down. It doesn't even exist in 2018. Like, who's doing this survey? Like, who's I, answering these questions? <laughs> that's a good point, David. So that's when you see things like you said, this other category, like, why is Google or QuickBooks self-employed showing up in this category? Here's one that, that blows my mind. Accounting write-up systems. Uh, so write-up being that you are doing the books post facto, maybe at the end of the year, end of the quarter, that sort of thing. So not surprisingly, Intuit QuickBooks accountant gets more than 50%. Now, as a guy who came up in the world of zero or became a zero partner early on, I'm very passionate about that. I was kind of wondering, okay, well, it makes sense that QuickBooks is up top. I'm going to see zero like number two, right? No, no. Next is Drake Accounting at 15%. I'm assuming this is some sort of accounting package that is built into the Drake tax software or paired with it. I, I've never seen this. It's kind of like an import, uh, import the- Import the Excel file of transactions. And then you can turn into a trial and, balance and pump out every chart. Yeah, that makes sense, right? So then there's Thomson Reuters Accounting CS. Uh, so, well, Drake Accounting has 15%. Then Thomson Reuters Accounting CS has 5.6%. Then there's this company called PC Software Accounting Inc. with 5.5%. Now, I've never heard of PC Software Accounting Inc. in my life. And I went to the website. And David, you have to do this too. All right. Let me open up a, another tab. PCSAI.com. PCSAI.com. Hit enter. And I encourage our listeners to follow along and check out PC Software Accounting Inc. website. David, tell me what you see when you get there. I see you've put me in a time machine and I popped out and it's 1998. So on my browser, the entire website- Referencing my old DOS client write-up system. So in my browser, the entire website appears in like the left half of my browser. It's left justified. Yes, (laughs) it's left justified. There's a um, sidebar on the left, which I haven't seen in a while. And a lot of- text in bubbles that looks like it was actually a, a graphic that somebody made in Microsoft Paint, perhaps. It says, welcome to the PC Software Accounting Inc. website. We specialize in client write-up for Windows. And it's a picture of a microprocessor. We have it. Client write-up, payroll, payables, receivables, job costing, fixed assets. Great reporting, great productivity, great support. We also have great conversions and interfaces to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And their website, the copyright on the bottom says 1997 through 2016. Like, is this company still live and people still using this? Are people still on these old legacy systems? This is the part that um, I have trouble understanding is, so PC Software Accounting Inc. came in at 5.5%. Sage One is behind them at 3.7% and then zero at 2.3%. So this company, PC Software Accounting, blast from the past, is kicking their butts. I mean, it kind of makes me want to give up on cloud accounting. 
I'm a little bit. I don't know how to feel about this, David. I there's another that one of the one of the sidebar options says computer checkbook. The Windows computer checkbook system is a check writing program that was designed to be used by the accounting firm as well as by their clients. I, it would be nice if on each question they showed the number of respondents on each question because there was 4,700, right? But maybe some people skip some questions or not. Another uh, interesting, confusing piece for me is practice management. Financial Sense, who's advertised on the, our podcast before, right, is a newer startup for practice management. They're v- fairly new in the grand scheme of Thomson Reuters and CCH, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're new in this world. They... uh they won for practice management, 40%. The next closest is Thomson Reuters uh, practice CS with 13. So do you think that Financial Sense did some sort of big campaign and got their users to vote? That's that's definitely possible. But then with, with 4,700 voters, like did people just skip these questions? Like I just find it very – like it's hard to reconcile some of this, these, this data and these numbers a little mm. bit. So here's something that kind of does make sense to me. In the payroll category, QuickBooks Payroll – comes in at 29%, no surprise there. Then it's Drake Accounting at 10%, ADP Payroll Solutions at 9.8%, and Gusto Payroll at 6.4%. So Gusto has made headroads, or is that the right word? They've made in inroads into the accounting community, and you can see that in the number there. They're actually ahead of paychecks at 6.2%. So that makes sense. But then PC Software Accounting, Inc. shows up again at the list in 3.4%. They are popular. Bill.com got 5.4% for time and billing. That really so T Sheets won, Sage Time Sleets, Imagine Time. They're all t- every other person in this category is a time tracking app to bill for your time. And Bill.com is categorized in that. I thought that was why is Bill.com in the time and billing? I guess because they're billing, but <laughs> they're bills, but they're not time and billing. Client portals, Drake Software, SecureFilePro.com comes in top there. Fujitsu is the best scanner. I actually used to have a Fujitsu. I like those a lot. Those are good. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. Do you have a client that has outgrown QuickBooks or Xero? Or do you have a client that is still in QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise Edition because all the current cloud accounting offerings lack the depth of features and controls that your clients need? Or maybe you have a client with legacy desktop ERP system and they are ready to move to the cloud. Let me introduce you to Odoo. Odoo is a highly customizable cloud ERP system with everything your clients need, including dozens of built-in app modules and thousands of third-party apps. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Oh, oh, and also Financial Sense won another category for comprehensive firm workflow systems hmm. with 54% beating out Thompson Reuters 12, 12%. I mean, it's unbelievable the difference. Right Networks came in number one for both hosting and outsourced technology services. Oh, how do you prefer to earn CPE? Live online webcasts came in at 40%. And uh, the winner for the favorite provider was CPA Academy. 15 per, 16% if you round up there. The AICPA. They beat AICPA. <laughs> I didn't even know there was these other ones. This gets pretty deep. Yeah, there's a lot of CPE providers. The IRS, 2.3%. 
Do they even offer CPE class? I guess they do. Expensify one for expense and travel management solution, 22% there, receipt bank behind, and number two, concur number three, and then a whole slew of other providers. Square wins for retail accounting slash point of sale systems, followed by Intuit QuickBooks point of sale. I think that's a big shift. I mean, Intuit tends to dominate every category that they're in, but Square is winning for point of sale. Yeah, especially I think when you think about the, historically speaking, the QuickBooks desktop point of sale just has, Intuit built a machine where the commissions were there, people loved it, they swore by it. There's enough control and detail accounts and bookkeepers could have over it in the VARs. They really were into that. Um, and then, yeah, it's tipped. And probably because just so many of their clients are on Square. Just Square's just slowly eroded that market away from Intuit. Last one for me, online small business accounting. QuickBooks online accountant wins with 70%. Then number two, Cashew, 3.2%. Sage Intact at 3%. Thomson Reuters, client CS or CS client access. Then KPMG Spark, then Sage One, then Zero, then NetSuite. So, I mean, obviously, KPMG Spark, it's their favorites, but you're right. I, I would expect Zero to be a little higher on this list, not to be being beaten by KPMG Spark or by Cashew. So, so I wonder how KPMG Spark got that. Like, did the KPMG Spark reach out to all the KPMGers and say, hey, guys, click this link and vote? Because why would accountants be saying, Right. If you don't work at KPMG, why would you be citing KPMG Spark as your online small business accounting pick? Oh, so like maybe they push their clients to go and fill out the survey? No, no. This is a survey of professionals. Well, so how did they? What if somebody at KPMG, if you're at KPMG in PR, you send out a message saying, hey, everyone vote for KPMG Spark in this category, and then everybody votes. Ah, it's internal. It's internal. Right. Votes. That's my guess. Anyway, so, guess, so that's the uh, that's the that's the survey. Yeah, the last one we should just touch on for sure is uh, health. Oh yeah, yeah, the health. The health question is funny. The bonus question. Yes. So, your favorite form of physical exercise during tax season? So it was not of all time, just during tax season. And then the number one winner was who has time to exercise with thirty two percent. Walking was ten percent. Jumping to conclusions was eight point five percent. This is like a genius category. Cycling seven point eight percent. The survey's done. We need to get exercise. Can't you can't not exercise during busy season? Oh, there was another question here though about how remote are you? So, did you see this one right below the? Yeah. So it says, "How remote are you? How many hours per week do you work on client engagements or firm business while away from the office?" Number one response was, "My office is in my home or car." At forty-three percent. All right, that's it for the survey. All right, closing that tab. Done. Closing that down, um, we got a few more minutes. So, what do we want to talk about? We got more app news. Yeah. Okay, Canopy is bragging about their new tax transcript technology for people using their practice management solution. Basically, you can request a secure transcript from the IRS directly inside a Canopy, and they have been part of this exclusive, uh, limited rollout or test with the IRS. And they're currently like one of the only companies that can do this until the general release in June. So that's a neat, neat feature. So can you just like, how, how, tell me what it does? Or like, so, so you got a client and they didn't save their tax returns, which happens all the time, right? And you need to 
you don't have the returns. So you need to request that information from the IRS. You can get the transcript, which I think also has some more, more information beyond just what's on the tax returns, but it's like the IRS version of the, of like all the data they have so that then you can go file. You know, and you can pull this right down from inside the Canopy app. You don't have to contact yes. the IRS separately or anything like that. So the IRS created an API. This is part of their technological improvement that they've been committing to. They created an API that allows companies like Canopy to pull that data directly instead of you having to request a fax. And historically, you'd have to send in a fax or make a phone call or something to get this information. Yeah, you'd have to request it and they would like fax it to you or mail it to you or something like that. This would be really interesting for like, I, I think if you start thinking about like TurboTax, because because they have their own data they pull from the return if you were a previous TurboTax customer, but and which is great, half your returns filled in for you, right? It uses your old TurboTax data. Imagine if they could offer that for every new customer. Right? So this could actually provide. I mean, you know, even uh, I'm I picked up in a different. I switched accounting firms, so I have a new accounting firm, and I had to go get all my PDFs, my business returns, and upload them to their little portal. Blah blah blah. But it'd be much easier if they could just go get that stuff for me. As a service, your firm provides that as a service to clients. This makes so much sense. Why haven't this business done a decade ago? Hey, we're at least we're getting there now. We're getting there. So we have Square. Square is in the news again. Square released their latest versions of their iOS app on iPhone and iPad. And developers like to get in there and hack and look at stuff. What's been discovered is that there's code in the current app for Square. They have a checking account and a savings account for small businesses. And even talks about the rate. So the savings rate is going to be 0.5%, which is not as high as the QuickBooks 1%. But every time somebody, if you, if you have the checking account, every time somebody pays you through your square point of sale, the money's instantly available in your checking account is what they're going to do. Mm. Could you imagine not having to you know, wait a three-day window to get those funds yeah. to settle with your merchant service and it was instantly in your checking account? That'll make a big difference for small businesses. So watch for an, an official announcement somewhere here. In the next probably weeks, I imagine, if they already put it in the app and they just have to flip it on when they're ready. Avalara, sales tax giant Avalara, has released an accountant's program, which is surprising because they're so big. You'd think they'd have one, <laughs> but they didn't before. Now they do. Um, what do you get as part of this? Sales tax preparation and filing. So they have a re- sales tax return for accountants. Well, it's actually called Avalara Returns for Accountants. Built for firms with a mature sales tax practice, the software offers multi-processor workflow management, data important filing automation. They have a managed returns service, so you can just outsource that through Avalara. They've got a tax expert helpline, so DIY sales tax research tools, plus a service that allows you to model complex scenarios, create comparison charts to support client advisory services. And business license management. There's a workflow to do license research, acquisition, and renewal. And that may be part of that acquisition they did last year. I think it was last year. They've been buying a bunch of companies, and one of them allowed them to help with registrations. Yeah, I, I can't imagine, or I don't understand, I guess, why this hasn't existed already for Avalara. Like for as long as they've been around in the relationship with accountants and the amount of you know money they blow on accountants at conferences, et cetera, that they haven't built an accountant's program before. But the second reason, I, I really think you're right. They made so many acquisitions. If you're an accountant or a bookkeeper, how do you even navigate the Avalara universe now? Like they really need to have a front end for accountants with training and stacks and tiers and you know some organization for all this. That's true. 
remember we talked about uh, NeoBank Revolut? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're they're targeting. Is that the one targeting individuals or businesses? They they have plenty of growth in their individuals, but their real march is small business. And they started in Europe and they came to, came the, to US. the US. And now they're rolling out invoicing in the hmm. in Europe, not in the US yet, but they are adding invoicing. So you can um, you know, accept payments, bank transfers, et cetera, from other people, credits and debit cards. So not only can you send the invoice, you it has all the pipes involved, so you can receive payments as well. I was kind of thinking about this. Everybody and their brother keeps adding invoices. Right. And I'm thinking about, so I'm, I have this addition I'm doing, right? I'm working with lots of contractors and subcontractors. Here's how my invoices have came literally a typed email, two Word docs, and then some other proprietary thing. Not once has there been an ability to pay, right? Like, so no, yeah, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, like the people using digital invoices and digital payment tools don't exist. Like, nobody's using them. It's a really small portion. Yeah. Most people are still doing it the old fashioned way. And so it's kind of amazing. I think about, the people I'm working with, like these subcontractors, they're probably not going to go to one of these neobanks. So until their bank offers these services, like invoicing, I don't think they're going to do it. So this is why, David, I think that what you guys are doing at Melio is, is brilliant with the payment link. So I can, as a business, set up that. I did it myself. So I, I experienced this now. I can set up a payment link where it's just a URL and I can... Say I can email that to somebody. I can include it on an invoice. I can just put it all over my website and people can click that and then put in a dollar amount and pay me by credit card or ACH. So like that is the, that's the way that you guys are going to get them because that's the easiest freaking thing to do. They don't have to change banks. They don't have to change software. They don't do anything different. It just works on top of their existing yeah. bank. Yeah. 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 I just, I I'm, I'm shocked. Right. I mean, it makes so much sense why everybody and their brother keeps adding invoicing and payments because. Yeah, most small businesses aren't using them. So bookkeep.com has secured 3.3 million in venture financing. Why do I know bookkeep? Why have I heard about these guys? So they advertised in the podcast before. So bookkeep (laughs) advertised in the podcast. Bookkeep, um, the founder, he was at Shopkeep. So remember Shopkeep Point of Sale? Yeah. So he founded Shopkeep Point of Sale. And then Shopkeep Point of Sale just got purchased by Lightspeed Point of Sale, who also bought Vend, right? They bought two major point of sales in two different markets. Bookkeep.com is a SaaS app that integrates daily detailed financial data from e-commerce and point of sale systems, and then summarizes that and posts it into QuickBooks Online, Zero, and other accounting platforms. I think another example of this would be A2X. It's a really valuable service. These e-commerce platforms should do this themselves, but they don't. So that's why bookkeep.com is necessary. To, to reconcile all the online payment systems into your accounting system. Because you have just, the data is just very disparate all over the place and you have to clean it up before you put it into your bookkeeping. Yeah. And anyone who has done accounting for e-commerce sellers where they have multiple channels, which is almost all the time, uh, knows just how painful that can be. Having to log into like six different places to try and pull the data. Bookkeeper 360 so just not to obviously these names start sounding familiar, right? So Bookkeeper 360, yeah. they um, historically were in the zero market, the zero uh, ecosystem, right? They ha- they launched that dashboard app, right? Mm-hmm. And they got in the zero store. Now they've integrated with QuickBooks Online, and they're now on the QuickBooks App Store. But that's not what I find interesting from this uh, announcement or press release. What I find interesting is they've also started to offer a new service, 
a pay-as-you-go accounting service. So, so tell me, so, what does that mean? So I can, it's kind of different from everything right now is this march to a fixed fee value bill, right? This is a shift towards yeah, yeah. hourly. So for 99 bucks an hour, just on demand, you can just get connected with an accountant, sign up online, and you can have them do some piece of your bookkeeping. Now, I'm not against that. I think that's actually a great way to appeal to people who prefer it. And there's no reason why if you don't have your system set up properly, you can't offer a mix of hourly and fixed fee and value price services. I, I look at it as like a carrot to get people in the door, right? You're automatically, you're, you're, you're getting people that are just tiptoeing into the waters. It's, it's non-committal at 99 bucks. And they can take that $99 person and as soon as they discover there's three, four hours of work, now they're a $400 client. Now you could probably convince them to get on your $300 a month plan. Yeah, I think that's a great great way to reduce risk for people, right? Because fear of commitment is what usually stops people from signing up for services with accounting firms. And that was Intuit's argument. Like this data suggests this, right? That was Intuit's argument with QuickBooks Live. We just have people that just aren't ready to be in a full-fledged bookkeeping relationship yet. Sage Intact has updated their app with release two of 2021. Some highlights here. I like this one. Bank feeds will now automatically refresh every four hours. No setting up needed. So you don't have to manually go in and refresh every day. And I kind of wish every accounting system did this, but they don't always. <laughs> it's uh, You have to manually go in and, and hit the refresh button. Sage Intact also added a component that you can add dashboards that shows you the last closed date for each application area as a top-level summary or by entity. And I love that because I have always wanted to be able to log into an accounting system and see the close date like right at the top so that I remember to actually close the books because <laughs> it's too easy to accidentally leave them open and then you run your reports and then somebody makes a change. And this is one of those little nerdy accounting things that I just love. What else? You can mark corporate credit card transactions as billable to a project now, and those transactions will flow directly to project invoicing. And finally, Intact has added the ability to specify different bill to contacts for different contract lines in the same contract. That's like super detailed contract management type stuff where you can actually bill different line items to different contacts in an organization. I thought that was neat. Sounds fancy. Very fancy, very fancy invoicing. I coincidentally had a piece of uh, Sage and Tech news. What's that? They are going to open their first uh, Canadian data center for Sage Intact. So up to this point, if you use Sage Intact, your data was stored in the US, which really didn't... Uh, comply to Canadian data laws. Mm. And so now this is going to be running on Amazon Web Services um, in a uh, central Canada region in Montreal. Well, that's all I've got for this week, David. How about you? That's it. You know, uh, there's a, let's put in the show notes, if people have tech neck, they can uh, see how to prevent it. There's some exercises you can do. Is this like a visual thing? I need to look at the pictures and you know, uh, it's, rotate my neck a certain way? Or? Some of the tips are good, like get frequent massages. Uh, can I get my firm to pay for my frequent massages? I think that would be a, a remote work perk that firms should offer is uh, I submit my massage for through Expensify for my, uh, and I get re reimbursed right every week. And they have a nice, uh, you know, safe recommendation of rub your neck and shoulders. Like you have to do it yourself. <laughs> oh, I have one of those like hooks that I can use. Have you ever seen those? It's like a massage hook and you can like massage your own neck. I highly recommend them. They're like 20 bucks on Amazon. Probably the best tip is to make your home office actually a home office. 
like no more kitchen tables or couch, whatever, you know, everybody's doing all these crazy, ridiculous things. Like just get a real stand up desk, a real home office. And, and even if your firm won't pay for it, just do it. Pay, buy the fancy chair that has like the ergonomic features. You'll thank yourself. Well, David, if people want to connect with you online, where can they do that? Uh, I'm just at David Leary. And if you're on LinkedIn, just say you're not a bot. I am at Blake T. Oliver. You can call us and tell us what you think. We will listen to your message and might even play it on the air. That number is 202-695-1040. 202-695-1040. Until next week, stay safe, stay sane. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm without having to work a million hours a week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. The Future Firm Accelerate program is designed around Ryan's experience of taking his own cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking accounting firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is futurefirmaccelerate.com. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Rod Drury calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.